Travis Bader, and this is the Silvercore Podcast. Silvercore has been providing its members with the skills and knowledge necessary to be confident and proficient in the outdoors for over 20 years, and we make it easier for people to deepen their connection to the natural world. If you enjoy the positive and educational content we provide, please let others know by sharing, commenting, and following so that you can join in on everything that Silvercore stands for. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a member of the Silvercore Club and community, visit our website at silvercore.ca. Visual artist and adventure, he spent just shy of 20 years traveling the world as the creative director, cameraman, and editor for Jim Shockey. Welcome to the Silvercore Podcast, Jesse Reardon. <laughs> That was a good intro. Hey, you, well, it's almost like I practiced it, right? Nice. No, that was good. <laughs> Just shy of 20 too. Just shy of 20. Yeah. We're going to say 20 years, but you, you made sure to correct me on that. You said, yeah. no, it was 19. It was just shy. Just yeah, shy of. Just shy. And I think Wojo, uh, Brian Wojcikowski, he, he made 20 years. Uh, he was Jim Shockey's other, he was Jim Shockey's, uh, cowboy. He's a real cowboy. Yeah. He's a real cowboy. <laughs> I was just learning to be a cowboy. Just learning. So. It's funny, uh, going back, what was it? 2018, I think it was around there, 20, 2018, 2019 is when I first kind of really, you came on the radar for me. Yeah. And that was when, uh, uh, my wife and I were doing some videos for April Vokey and doing some, uh, my wife's a chef by trade and she's doing cooking videos. And I watched a lot of YouTube and picked up a camera. I'm like, I can figure this out. I, I, I can do this video editing and started learning how to use Premiere Pro and you came back with a whole bunch of tips and suggestions, but I was uh, pretty chuffed when you're like, man, his, his cuts are on point. I think that was a one compliment that you, oh, you man, came I across. Oh man, I hope that was nice. Huh. No, I don't remember good. that email. No, it was good. Well, I think he came through, uh, April and over to me. Oh no. <laughs> Constructive criticism. That's right. We'll call it. So, uh, but you, holy crow. You've been doing the whole video thing for a pretty long time with a, with a legend, with Jim Shockey. Yeah. Did you want to talk about how you got into that? Cause I think it's kind of a neat story. Yeah, a little bit. Um, so yeah, roughly I helped put together with Shockey's team, of course, because it takes a team, it takes a village. Yes. It's like three, three, over 300 episodes with Shockey for sure. But. Wow. Um, definitely, um crazy humble beginnings because I was actually, uh, born and raised in Calgary as a, a kind of a city kid, uh, kind of more like sports and, uh, hockey sports and wanted to be in the outdoors, but never, never got out there. How, Fam- co- how come you weren't outdoors? Was it just like uh, a family thing or? Family didn't camp and, uh, yeah, I was kind of right in the city close to downtown Calgary and it was hockey and soccer and school. Yeah. All the, all the kids at school and a bit of dirt biking, but you know, um, yeah, my dad, he, he wasn't, you know, like it just didn't work out. Like they didn't do that. I hear you. But fishing though, fishing, but my yeah. dad, my dad's idea of fishing was getting together with his buddies and drinking some beers and <laughs> handing me a fishing rod. But because of that, and also when I visited my grandpa in Ontario, he'd, he'd drive me to lakes and hand me a fishing rod. So because of that, I love fishing. So right. that was the one thing I really loved was, was fishing, but. Never, never hunting. 
So yeah. Hunting. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, I moved to uh, Vancouver Island and my dad was here and I got a job at a t-shirt shop as a graphic designer. And uh, one of Shockey's guys came in looking for jackets to get embroidered yeah. for his uh, Rogue River outfit in territory he'd bought in Yukon. And he was talking about, he had a TV show and it was uh, a hunting show and he was traveling to Russia and all these other places. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. I had a website up at the time and I threw him a business card right in there. And <laughs> yeah, I, was, I just, yeah, it was interesting how it all transpired because Shockey looked at it, I guess, and he, he saw something, but I stayed on his sidekick. And I remember the first time I watched Jim Shockey's uh, DVD. That was a weird day. But correct me if I'm wrong, your website wasn't videography, it was photography, wasn't it? It was like, I had photos, like we, I took a year media course. So you did uh, six weeks of video editing, you okay. did six weeks of Adobe Photoshop, six weeks of logo design. Yeah. It was like the uh, G3s, G4, Macs had just coming out. They, were, they had like, it was all just getting going digital editing. Mm -hmm. So I don't pronounce my NGs, it's my accent. <laughs> But, editing, uh, digital yeah, editing. Yeah. So something happened there, but I stayed on this guy. I saw Shockey's first uh, DVD and I, he, it looked pretty, uh, cheese ball. I thought kind of a little bit weird. I remember seeing some clips from that. Yeah, it was different. Yeah. But it was, uh, there's this young man, Cody Robbins, who's a hardcore hunter. He's mm -hmm. got his own show. You might've heard of it. I don't know. Cody. Yeah. yeah perhaps. Live the hunt or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah. he was doing the show at the time and. Um, somehow I got invited to go to Saskatchewan and live with Cody, live at Cody's. You just got the invite. He's from like, Jim Bisson to go, cause they were, he, Jim was an outfitter for Whitetail out there. Uh, okay. So I got the invite to go live at Cody's for a month and just follow him along. Like, cause Cody was running around filming hunts and editing the show. He's always late on his. <laughs> <laughs> so I was there to help. Right. Yeah, yeah. And live with Cody Robbins. That's pretty cool. For a month. Was that, it? That sounds cool to me. You tell me, was it cool? Yeah, it was cool. I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot. No, it was good. It was really good to, uh, yeah, a lot, lot happened that, that month. And actually that month is when I, so, cause Cody was so busy with whitetails and with Jim's outfitting area and for whitetails that Shockey was doing, uh, he'd got drawn for this random, uh, elk hunt in Wyoming and he needed a cameraman. Okay. So I was like, yeah, I'll go. In so Wyoming, I, okay. So every weekend, because Jim would have to come back and say hi to the hunters or something like that on yeah. the weekends. Wait, he had to come back on the weekends to say hi to the hunters, do all the dinners and all this stuff. And then he'd go back hunting for three days in Wyoming. So he needed a cameraman. So I went with him on those. For three weeks, we went for like four day hunts for elk with his muzzle muzzleloader. Yeah. Just driving back and forth from- Driving back and forth. Listening to, to him sing. <laughs> Is he a good singer? He's not like. He's not bad. Depends who you ask. Like if you ask him, he's pretty, he's pretty good. His, his song did make number one blues or something. Very cool. Yeah. He, he sung that to me once too. He's sung me every song. Yeah. He sung me good, the, his grass is greener song when, um, when I retired from the, the shocky show. <laughs> it's a long story. That's pretty cool. Sounds kind of like a family environment, really. Yeah. Yeah, totally. He, he became kind of like a. Uh, what do they call it? Like a surrogate? Surrogate? Father? I call him more surrogate grandpa. <laughs> I'm sure he loves that. <laughs> surrogate great grandfather. No, he's, he, so he's awesome. You know, mentor, all these things. Like he taught me a lot, taught me how to hunt for sure. Cause I was just a city kid who, who liked to fish, but, um, 
hunting and all that. I, I had no clue. And when I went on that trip in Wyoming, like day one, we, I found out we were riding horseback, right? And have, had and, you ridden a horse before? Well, like, mm, honestly, come to think of it, not much. No, like Calgary Stampede I used to see. Okay. Like, and they'd ride the horses there and the Bronco I always like to watch, you know? Sure. Yeah. But, you know, no, uh, no. <laughs> I hadn't. So aside really. from watching other people ride horses at the stampede, that Honestly, was Honestly, I don't recall, no childhood memories of riding a horse. <laughs> but I hopped on there with the camera and just, you know, whatever, figured it out because it was like, I had no choice, so. So what, what kind of camera were you bringing with you? I was, uh, back then it was Canon XL1, Canon XL H1, like the first XL, okay. or it was, they had the GL2, GL2, it was still standard def. Was that your camera or did they no, provide No, Shockey it? provided, yeah. Okay. He provided the tapes and everything, the batteries. The, the tapes. The light that I was supposed to have. Cody, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, Cody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a good, uh, it was a good trip. It was like, I learned a lot, but it was back to camp and I got to know Shockey the whole time and I tried to prove myself, right? So I had my, like, my Canon camera or whatever, my, you know, film camera took pictures and- I'd go back to Cody's and edit and. Was it hard to prove yourself? Did that, was that an ongoing process? Well, they needed a guy for sure, but it was, yeah, it was like, I had to prove myself to Jim that I wasn't going to like, cause Shockey's the real deal. Like when he goes on these trips, the rougher, the better, mm. the more hungry, the better, the crappier, the weather, the better. Like he's serious. I'm like, you know, he, like the last trip I did with him, he said 10 days. We were there 21 days. And you'd never really camped or been outside before this. Oh, for that one? Yeah. I mean, no, I, I remember camping rarely as a child. Yeah. And now you're out there 21 days, not only taking care of yourself, but having to capture everything, take care of the equipment, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. That, capture everything on video and photo. That one was a little cushy because we went back to like, uh, they had like a barn okay. kind of set up with bunk beds, but you, you know, it's like a. Outfitter camp, I guess. Yeah. So you'd go back to a nice warm dinner and I, I learned about that whole, cause when you go with an outfitter, it, it's, you, you do become friends and, uh, you get to know these people out in the bush really quick. Mm. Right. If you go with unguided hunts and I learned about the camaraderie. Yes. Yeah, I did. So it was, uh, it was a good learning experience and I was working with real cowboys out, out in Wyoming. It was, was it Wyoming? Yeah. It was, it was insane. Just pretty cool. So. You just jump in and you're now all of a sudden filming his shows. You had other yeah. people besides you helping film it or were you just kind of. It, it was time to, uh, Cody needed a second camera because Cody was getting busy. Um, he was, yeah, he was a bit too busy. He was getting burnt out because, you mm. know, traveling the world and whatever was great. So I got the, uh, I got invited to this 45 day trip, which was pretty wild. It was Turkey, Tanzania. And, uh, Spain. Yeah. Wow. Anyways, it was all new to me. I remember my, my first time in Spain, like on a mountain and trying to film Jim, you know, get the shot, nail the shot. And then, you know, of course you'd look down and it's like, oh yeah. When you're filming and moving, you gotta, you gotta always look down. You gotta watch your, watch your step, man. Yeah. Cause yeah. it could happen quick. Like people, like we're in some dangerous territory. So just like, just being aware of everything. I guess it's pretty easy to, to get stuck in the viewfinder. Yeah. Oh yeah. And also, um, yeah. And that's another thing. You're looking through this little tiny viewfinder back in the day. Yeah. 
And then Shockey always loved to review the footage. That was like pretty immediately. Well, like with the yeah, I mean sometimes with the tapes, yeah, we were always careful. There was mm-hmm. one guy who he's just so pumped about his footage, and then he reviewed it, and then the next day just recorded over it. So one thing that's been interesting, like in the Shockey shows, is that mm-hmm. he will he will release the blemishes as well, right? He'll, yeah. He's got the hits, but he'll also have the misses in there. No, that was good. Which is, it, it brings it into a level of reality for the people who are watching. Yeah. Where quite often it was always like, you'd, you'd see somebody on TV and it was, they're always successful. They're always making totally. hits. And I thought that's kind of an interesting way to approach it. And I think that probably it paid in part to the success that the, that the show see, would see. Yeah, totally. And that's, I came on like, uh, late part of season two and Shockey's for Jim Shockey's Hunt Adventures, that went on for 17 seasons. And one thing I did like about the shows, <laughs> besides the, uh, the looped one song, weird song throughout the whole song <laughs> or throughout the whole show, yeah. which I was like, oh man. It's gotta go. It's gotta go. Was, uh, he was real. Like it was, it did tell the story of the hunt. It did tell the, the, the if he didn't get one, if he did get one, mm. um, you know, I remember, yeah, he had to, yeah, I, I appreciated that about, and that's what hunt, was good about Hunt Adventures is that we, he would literally bring back the footage. Yeah. You know, here's the, you know, 10 tapes from this sh- trip to, yeah. you know, wherever, Spain, we need three episodes, figure it out. Were there other people that were kind of vying for that position and you just kind of got in or were you just kind of like right place, right time? Yeah, I was, it was kind of right place, right time, I guess, but I was kind of, uh, it was like an opportunity that I heard, like he came into my work looking for jackets and he talked about this cool show he had mm. that he just started. And I was like, oh, that's, I was just kind of, I just moved to the island and I was just kind of there, you know, taking up a seat. And I just saw an opportunity, but yeah, it, it just right place, right time. And then also just jumping on opportunity, but also staying on it, like being persistent once you, um, have an in just, and then proving yourselves by, you, yeah. Earning respect, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Do you often get people asking like, how, how do you break into the industry? How do you get in and do this? I have had people ask me and it is just if, if the, that opportunity presents presents itself. Yeah. You got to jump on it. You know, like I remember sitting on uh, the ferry, like I was today. Yeah. Heading to Saskatchewan with Jim Bissenden, his, uh, sidekick, his right-hand man in 2004 thinking like, okay, here we go. I got four weeks to prove myself. Otherwise I'm back at the t-shirt <laughs> shop and I, I don't know. And you didn't want to go to back Calgary. to the t-shirt shop. Not really. I could go back to Calgary. I was thinking about going back to Calgary, maybe moving out east. Yeah. I wanted to do something kind of, I've always wanted to do something in the fishing industry, like some sort of TV show. So yeah, still in the works. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay. You never know. Yeah. I was, I remember, um, uh, listening to, uh, Jim say, you know, people asking like, how, how do you get into the industry? How do you get in and do this? And he said, just want this and do it. Mm-hmm. Be in there and do it. Well, want like, it more than anything else. how do you do this? What the, the podcast silver core or silver core? And the le- every, like, you know, it's a similar thing. Just want it and do it. I, I saw something that I was, I felt that I could be good at. And that was, mm-hmm. I started doing the gunsmithing. Mm-hmm. Originally it was silver core gun works and before it became silver core training. And 
you know, the people who follow the show know that I named Silver Corps after my grandfather, Silver Armino, who was a police officer, Vancouver police detective. And my other grandfather, Cornelius Bader, who was a entrepreneur and he had a large bakery in its day and did well nice. for himself with it. Yeah. He was, uh, Apple fritters <laughs> making, yeah, he <laughs> would brag that he was bigger than dad's oatmeal cookies. I don't know if that's a big brag or what, but, uh, for him, it was one of the things that he had say. And, um, I, so I, I, I wasn't doing well in school. Yeah. I, I figured, you know, I. Why weren't you doing well in school? Well, probably because of that whole, possibly because of that whole ADHD thing that we talked oh, yeah. about on the drive nice. over here. You but learn different? Learn a little bit differently, um, approach life a little bit differently, approach yeah. challenges a little bit differently, got into a fair bit of trouble in my youth, honestly. And, yeah. uh. Ended up going to a number of different schools because of that, <laughs> not of my own accord. They call it alternative high back in my day. Alternative high. Yeah. Uh, I think at the end it was, uh, one, two, three, one, two, two different elementary schools, uh, five different high schools. And I remember grade seven, the teacher's like, you know, Trav, Honestly, I should fail you, but I don't want to see you back in the class again. So I'm giving you just enough to pass to get you into high school. And I think high school will figure you out. And that was probably a good thing on her part because yeah. I, don't, I don't see it helping anybody having me repeat that grade. And then, uh, you know, I graduated with honors, yeah. uh, like grade four, I had straight A's just yeah. because, uh, different teachers, different teaching styles. By the time I came to graduation, I was going to, um, the worst rated school in British Columbia at the time. Yeah. I think it's much more better rated now, but I mean, it had problems. It Worse was, than Central Memorial in Calgary? Well, this was uh, Princess Margaret secondary in, uh, in Surrey. Oh, good old Surrey boy. Too. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, good old Princess Margaret secondary PMS, everyone would lovingly call it. Wow. Um, it's and crazy. I was there going to Siakum, uh, doing night school at Semiamu, um, and I ended up at Siakam's grad and then I would just go across the street to the college and, or the university college, whatever it is now, Kwantlen. Mm -hmm. I talked to my teachers, what worked, what work do I have to show you in order to get a good grade in this class? Yeah. They tell me, I go across the street, I do all the work and I go to the beach and I get nice. all of my schooling done within an hour or two in the morning, which is just the different way that their mind works and brain works. So. Totally. And yeah. So, I, and I, you were recently diagnosed yeah, with recently ADHD. Yeah, recently diagnosed with ADHD. I had to go get it checked out, you know, to just kind of prove to myself that I probably did have it. Did you feel you had it? And you're like, okay. I oh yeah, I was always there. It was just, you know, I always kind of blamed it on my childhood, but it was, it's actually, I had ADHD as well for full on, but you know, thank goodness. Cause, um, if we didn't have people with ADHD, I don't think anything we could get done. So Sean Taylor, ex JTF2, Joint Task Force 2, Canada's elite special forces, tier one operator, talking with him a couple of days ago on the phone and brought up the ADHD thing. We're talking about that mm -hmm. and mentioned, you know, when I was a kid, I was on an experimental program. I was on the mm -hmm. highest dosage of Ritalin in the province. They could only prescribe certain amount per pill. So they said, well, just take a whole bunch of pills in the morning then a whole bunch of pills in the afternoon. And we'll just, we'll keep upping it until we kind of find the optimal threshold and then we'll ease yeah. it back. I think was what the. Yikes. Right. And he says, uh, you know. What a shame it is that yeah. they approached it. So it was grade three when I was diagnosed that they approached it saying, okay, we've got this problem. 
ADHD, but here's some ways that we can work with it. As opposed to saying, Travis, you got this gift. It's called ADHD. Yeah. You're going to have so much energy and so many different interests and you're going to look at things differently and look at all these great things that we can, and find a way to work with it as opposed to always growing up thinking, I remember the kids, they would call them smart pills, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, Travis is taking his smart pills. So when I came into grade eight going into high school, I'm like, forget it. I'm off. I'm cold turkey taking myself off. I didn't like the headaches, the appetite suppression and, you know, even just going outside. There's a bit of a stigma attached and yet. Oh yeah. I don't know much about it in terms of, I've just been diagnosed. I've been doing my research. Okay. Yeah. And I, I did try medication, so. And how'd that work for you? It helped me, it did help me focus. Yeah. But you know, it just, and cause of that stigma attached, it made me uncomfortable based on my family upbringing, but also by, I did like, uh, I don't know, I'm still kind of experimenting with my, what, what's the right, you know, because honestly it did help me, uh, focus. Sure. I found that it would numb me, right? And it, it made me feel like not me. And while it no. might help focus, perhaps it also came with the headaches and the sensitivity to light and all these other things. Mm. I don't, I don't know what medication they put you on, but I just didn't like the feeling of needing something yeah, else. I agree. I, I'd rather find a way. You know, I was always raised, Trav, you're a, you're a square peg and the world's a round hole and yeah. the world's got to figure it out how to work with you, which yeah. is totally backwards. Yeah. If you're a square peg and the world's a round hole, mm-hmm. it's up to you to figure out how to work yourself with the rest of the world. Totally. And so it wasn't until I was, and I think that was probably why I got in a fair bit of trouble mm-hmm. in my youth and, and, uh, luckily got things kind of sorted out yeah. by the time I started long roundabout here, silver core gun works and yeah, yeah, it was, um. And soundness of mind is good. What's that? Soundness of mind. Like when you have a clear head, it's, it's nice. Even it with is. ADHD, that's what we get out in the bush too. You know, you go, you go into Yukon for 20 days and. Well, isn't that interesting? Some, some of the best soundness of mind you get out there. Isn't it interesting how being out in the ocean, being out in a, on a lake up the mountainside in the bush and in the woods will bring a level of clarity to an individual. It turns off all of that white noise. Mm -hmm. Totally. That you'd otherwise have if you're in the city all the time. And Mm -hmm. I find, I find if I've been in the city for a while, it'll take me a little bit to kind of reach that point of just being present, let's say. Yeah. Sometimes all I hear is all the, all all the thoughts, all the arguments, all the battles, all the uh, ideas, and they're just popping and going and several days into it, all of a sudden everything's calm and it's clear. I'm sure you would find something similar just. Well, on some of those trips, you're kind of self-reliant a bit and you're kind of part of this team. And Mm. if you're roughing it with the boys for 10, 12, 20 some days. Mm. Yeah, it gets, it, it's hard out there sometimes, but you come back missing those moments and you, you, it, I used to call it a spa for men. Out there. Spa out for men. I there. love it. Yeah. Cause you come back mentally <laughs> refreshed. Oh yeah. It's the best. You, you just like, it's uh you, you figure things out out there. They call it uh you've heard of type one and type two fun. Yeah. So. I think so. No. Okay. Wow, so maybe. you're saying, oh, it sucks. It's hard and you're out there, but you yeah. look back and it's awesome. Right. Uh, so there you go. people would say, Hey, that's type two fun. Yeah. Type two fun is where, um, uh, 
you're, you're working really hard and it, it, it's a difficult time, but yeah. it's one of those core memories that you carry with you after type one would be like, okay, I'm on a roller coaster. It's a lot of fun, yeah. but you don't look back and say, those were the days, right? And buddy of mine <laughs> started talking about type three fun. Oh, yeah. I thought, well, that's interesting. What's type three fun, right? Yeah. This is, uh, uh, David, he's a big lead in the, uh, new website we're actually putting out. Yeah. It's type three fun. That's, uh, when it really sucks yeah. when you're doing it, but later when you look back on it, it still really sucks. Right? There, there is that type <laughs> of type three fun. I put that in, uh, Yukon Uncharted season two, you know? Yeah. Was, what was that like? That was a hard push in the, our, our area for some reason. Yeah. Everywhere we went, we weren't seeing moose and the other guy was seeing moose at our same camp. <laughs> the rookie, <laughs> the rookie guide. Yeah. Why do you think that was? Just I don't know. luck of the draw? Yeah, it just kind of happened. It was just, and then we had bad weather and stuff for like five days just sitting in the rain. It was a hard push. We so, weren't, we, you know what the problem was there? If you ask Shockey and we weren't spiking out, um, mm. it was just, would have been a little hard on the clients and <laughs> we would have to really spike out there. And so you, you'd take your camp with you and that's, that's, well, number one thing I learned with Jim is take your camp with you and you just keep moving. How, how long will you dedicate to an area? Me? Well, <laughs> okay. Well, you filming Jim. <laughs> Oh, he'd dedicate his life to an area if he could. So if it wasn't being productive, he'd just keep working it or he'd spike out again from oh, there? Oh, he'd figure it out. He'd figure out the best way to hunt that area for sure. Yeah. Or we'd just move on to a new area. If we, that area wasn't for moose, like, yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd find, you find the biggest moose. What sort of things would he be looking for? For moose? Sure. Let's say for moose, if he's going out into an area well, and he he's says- getting the high points and he's looking for, for antlers at the start. Yeah. But he's also, it's all in season and everything. He knows his, I mean, there he hunt, he, he really knows that area. I'll, uh, I can't say the name, but we, yeah. I went there for the first time with him actually when he bought the area, he, we went there. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. We went to that camp and it had been attacked by a grizzly bear. I didn't know we were just setting up this camp. So now this camp is his camp now. Now it's like, yeah. boo. but I went there day one with him and I remember laying in that, that shack thinking, oh boy three weeks of this, like I was like in the fetal position thinking, here we go. With a grizzly bear on the prowl outside. Grizzly bear on the prowl, the camp wasn't set up and me and Jim had like four or five days before, uh, the client and his dad was coming in and that was fun filming his dad though. I was like that. Okay. So those, those are neat. So it was dad and his father-in-law. Yeah. Hal and Len. Hal and Len. Yeah. Man. That was huge. They're a couple of cool cats, eh? They're really cool cats and- that was a good story behind that because we, um, yeah, we got them together for whitetails and, uh, I can't tell how we filmed that first episode, but after that we were like, we got to do, it's like it, the idea was stemmed from grumpy old men, like yeah. get these two guys out and they were having a contest yeah. and for them, they're, they were both hardcore meat. They like everything good about hunting is what they worked. <laughs> so yeah. they, they take the first thing that's legal, like legit, <laughs> but, um, that's what made it good. It was, they were kind of like old school meat, meat hunters. And that's what's all about with hunting is you're, you're getting meat for the family. That's it, how they grew up. And yeah, honestly for me, like working all that time got me into hunting and now I don't buy meat and actually I, you know, I try and get a black tail every year if I can. And yeah. Last year we got our first bear. So, you know, it's nice. Your and, first you bear. Know, I can, and I got friends who do get farm animals so I can do trades if I get a black tail. They're not yeah. very big on the island, but. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a hardcore hunter, but I definitely have a passion for wildlife and, and, uh, 
you know, I tend to get myself in trouble when I'm hunting because I try and film it and then I'm, I spook off and I, I'm okay. like, oh, I should have shot that. So that's gotta be damn difficult trying to film your own hunt. Yeah. Film your own hunt. Tell, tell me, how do you go about filming your own hunt? What are you looking for in shots? Cause there's a lot of people who, uh, are getting, the cameras are getting better. Your phones yeah. have cameras. Oh man, phones are amazing. Yeah. GoPros. And, and people are putting out content of their own on YouTube and Instagram, like from a professional, seasoned to professional's perspective, what are some of the go-tos that you'd be looking for, for basic shots and composition? Well, I mean, ultimately, again, what's made Jim Shockey's Hunt Adventures or most of his series good was just, you're telling the story of the hunt. Mm. And if you're telling the story, you're going to document the day. And the biggest thing is... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you got to have an eye for it too, right? For mm. storytelling. But if you're, if you're filming a hunt, the biggest thing is to commit to your shot. You're not, cause you, people, I, people come show you footage and it's like, Hey man, I got this deer, blah, 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 watch the footage. And it's like, the, it's all over. <laughs> bum, 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 like, where's the shot? Well, yeah, I got it. And then and the camera's off and it's like <laughs> running to the ground, you know, like, so if you're filming, uh, one of the biggest rules was don't. Don't get involved in the hunt. You're like, Shockey used to describe it as you're like filming your kid's graduation. You're just going to film him going up. He's going to mm. get the thing. You're going to film him. So you just can't get too involved and naturally you get involved and mm -hmm. you miss your shot or, cause if you don't get that harvest shot, unfortunately in a, in a hunting show or a fishing show, you're kind of yeah. in trouble. Well, it makes telling the story a lot different. Yeah. And it's not, we're not trying to glorify it, but it's part of the, it's unfortunately, it's part of the show. And with, again, Hunter Ventures, it was always clean and we always did a good job of being very ethical and respectful of the animal and stuff. Would you ever have to try and reshoot and recreate? So yeah, that's called a B-roll. So often yeah. we would, you'd, you'd get B-roll, but in, in what Shocky always taught us and what I always try and go for it's called running time, right? So for that moment, it's running time. So the idea is, you, so you go in, like if I was filming you right now on a stock, uh -huh. I'd come in kind of wide, right? Okay. Come in wide and then we see the animal over say 50 yards. So I'm kind of, you're, I see you setting up. So now I'm still wide and then I could maybe go medium over the shoulder. Yeah. And then I'd maybe pin it at full zoom. Yeah. Hold that shot. And if I know, it, like maybe you're there for a minute, we're talking, you don't have time, then you'd come back wide maybe. Okay. But the idea is you just hold that shot and you take the shot. And then there was a bit of a science to it because you would, after the after the shot, you'd stay on the animal and then come back to the hunter. But okay. often we would take B-roll because um, lots of shows use that. And that's um, what we didn't like about the shows was maybe the fake stuff, right? We always right. tried to make it real because it was hunting, so it was real. Right. So we'd use, usually I'd use B-roll cuts for, um, cause we had no time. Like it was 22 minute show right. segments and everything. So it's like, you know, I could, the one moose hunt we did, it was 15 minutes to stock, right? Running time, but I could only use two minutes or three. Right. Minutes. So would you have to be like, oh, hold on, stay back, stay back. I got to get into position. Okay. Now you walk through or you just, you're literally the fly on the wall. No, you're like. You're like nothing if you're a cameraman. You're the guy who usually gets in trouble for spooking the animal. Right. So you just stick to the, often you try and get in position, you yeah. know, but you can miss the play. You got to, it's, we call it reading the play. So again, as a cameraman, you want to read the play. So the moose is going this way. So naturally, and you can compress the shot or if you got to stay tight to the hunter, that's another big thing too. So would you 
ever catch crap for? Oh man, yeah, lots. <laughs> it's always always cameraman's fault, never Jim's. That's right. Never, yeah. Never I saw a note fault. on there. It says, you know, Jim never makes noise. Jim never makes noise. No, no. <laughs> we could be wearing the same thing, but it's, it's always cameraman. No, it was. Uh, yeah, you, you you'd screw up. I mean, naturally, you got noise cancellation headphones often or mm-hmm. whatever, and you're walking around with a camera trying to nail the shot. They call it. Yeah. And then you're trying to read the play and compress the shot and give it, you know, his show was filmed in a way that had the hunter in frame with the animal versus like he used to call it, we, we used to call it bad wildlife footage. I mean, lots of shows, which I'd watch shows and be like, man, it's like planet earth right there. Like, cause mm. it's a tripod, wicked lens mm. and they nail on the shot and they had another guy made with the camera or with the hunter. But ours was always like totally gorilla style, like rogue. It was nuts. Would you catch, I should imagine, catch heat from different environmental groups or people who were perhaps anti-hunting? And I then- mean, we were always pretty good because Shockey was super careful with that and he's pretty legit, but I'm sure I know he had issues for sure and it was unfortunate. And honestly, for myself, I went in green. Like my mm. first trip to Africa, I was on big five hunt. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are we doing? This is crazy. Yeah. But <clears throat> you learned a lot and honestly- you know, people say you're killing these animals in Africa, but actually th- those hunting dollars were saving the animals. And until you're on foot there, you don't legit see it. And I, I, I could legit see that hunting was actually helping conserve wildlife. Right. But it, I went in totally green thinking, I don't know, man, like I, I'm just here to film and tell stories. So I, I love that, that idea, you know, yeah. telling stories with video and photo, but I was, I was nervous going to those countries and it was awesome because I, I got to see that. See, Cameroon, ne- Tanzania. I'd love to go to Africa. A buddy of mine used to be a PH professional hunter in Africa. And he actually, he's been on the podcast before. He's also was bodyguard for Oprah Winfrey and her crew. Oh, nice. Yeah, pretty cool fellow. <laughs> and uh, so he's trying to line up an African hunt. I do it. But he talks about, you know, when he first came over here and a buddy of his who was also a, I think he was, buddy was also a PH in Africa. And they're like, we want to do... We want to do a guided hunt in Canada. I mean, world renowned, maybe we'll do a moose hunt. And mm-hmm. so they go out to the, uh, guide and they didn't bring sleeping bags. They didn't bring, they didn't, they brought their, I think they brought their gun and a backpack and whatever they needed for their hunt, not expecting it to be so different than what it's like in Africa. He says, you know, they got people who will wash your clothing for you. They making your drinks for you. They got all your bedding is being turned out. It's apparently a completely different world. Oh yeah. No, Africa was, um, like the, the main safari camps had, they had full teams there working for sure. Did your laundry and stuff like that. But, but shocky, of course, we'd go out in like seven days and like we'd set up, uh, mosquito net tents. Mm. And like sleep by hippo rivers and croc rivers. It was insane, actually. I remember waking up with a spider in my tent. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. I could hear the hippos. And then I woke up next morning. My whole face was like big, big, big sting mark on it. And oh. the, the PH had a scorpion on his, uh, in his area there. It was. <laughs> his area there. Okay. It was just, it was, it was, it was, he always loved roughing it. So, but those Africa camps were so, yeah, they were good. Uh, yeah. It could be scary. Really... Like I've seen stuff with, um, 
Tiny, I don't even know what those little dug, dugout kind of canoes are called over there, but. Yeah, uh, Crocs, yeah, would, yeah. Looking for Crocs. Yeah, man-eating Crocs, we did that. Yeah, and the Crocs are larger than the boats that you're in. Oh yeah, it's, and it's a legit fishing community and, you know, we get in these boats and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny at the time, is it though? You know, but, <laughs> but like it's legit and all the guys are laughing at you, but th- these guys do it every day, right? Yeah. So they're happy. And then I remember we got a Croc at that one, that one lake and, you know, it's, we took some meat back and cooked it, but the whole village got the meat and mm. took the leather. Every square inch of that gets used there. Well, wasn't there a hippo charge as well that yeah, you were charge. supposed to be in front of? Yeah, hippo charge. Hippo charge was good. So, Tell me about that. Uh, yeah, it was good. There's always, uh, we were actually after hippos. And again, I'm like, you know, that's weird around hippos. But when we did get a hippo, that hippo fed literally a little village for a month, right? Mm. And they, they used, again, every square inch of it. Yeah. But it's just the, the the rules never get between hippos and uh, land and water. Okay. So we we kind of walked around looking for hippos on land. Yeah. Filmed a couple. They were a little small. Jim was after a bigger bull. Mm. And then I was just filming them walking away. There's these awesome white birds. You know, I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool shot. And I could hear stuff all of a sudden in my headphones on the left side. I was like, oh, that sounds like a something. And I hit pause with on I was full zoom on the uh, camera. Yeah. Anyways, the hippo came flying out and I hit record as I was running back and pulling wide on the, those old tape cameras. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, almost smoked them, but it would have got me because technically I was the fourth guy. They all moved and he went there. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it would have got me. I would have hopefully jumped all the way or someone would have shot, but who knows? It happens quick. Like yeah. the charges happen quick. It happened with an elephant as well. Yeah. Um, that was insane. Yeah, and again, hunting elephants, yes, really bad, and it's very restricted and stuff for sure. Um, but yeah, we just happened upon them, and it was just bad place, bad time, and they're very aggressive. So the PH had to step in for us, which was unfortunate. And uh, a couple other charges, yeah, uh, hunting uh, dwarf, the yeah, elephants in the uh, jungles of Cameroon too. We got. I remember seeing some video footage. I, I jumped back pretty hard on that one. What's that? And the one in Cameroon, I jumped back pretty hard on. Yeah. Just, it was just a random, yeah, bad incident, but yeah. I remember seeing a video footage, you in a blind and it was. Oh, with the lion. Lion. Oh yeah. And you could like hear the breath of the thing. Oh yeah. That was insane. So like you're hunting whitetail, you'd get in, in the dark, right? Yeah. So we did that with the lion. And yeah, the lion came in and was roaring around our, the area. And then he walked right up to our blind. You could just see it, like right when it's starting to get bright, like almost you can hear the birds coming, you know? And yeah, he walked right up to the blind and Jim and the PH said, Jim said, don't effing move. I was like, Ugh. And that's the only time <laughs> I felt uh, true fear actually in my life because. Um, Walk me through it. What oh, was it I, like? True fear? The whole experience. Oh, I was, I was done. I just. All I could see, I, I couldn't hit record because you'd see the light and it was too dark anyways, cameras yeah. didn't pick up. But the lion came right to the blind, like here's the opening of the blind, right? Like, yeah. what, And my tripod camera's right there. So I just hid behind my um, camera and I was like shaking like this. And then the lion, um, he circled us and the hyenas had eaten the corner of the blind. So we had all these trees there and he's going through it and he's kind of, <laughs> and he's roar, like roaring right there, like crazy crazy psycho line. Right. I, I was just shaking. Jim's like, like I couldn't move because he's literally got five zippers, right? Yeah. That's all he has to do. Anyways, then he went out 
and went off and ran off and was freaking out in the trees. It was, yeah, it was quite the experience. No kidding. Yeah. Opened my eyes. I've been deer hunting and had mountain lion, not that close, not that close, but heard it off. I, I never saw it, but I could hear the thing. The screech? Yeah. Oh. And it just yeah. kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And I'm sitting there in the, uh, in the freezing cold, sitting there waiting. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be, I'm going to sit still. I'm not yeah. going to keep making <laughs> my deer noises anymore. And, um, uh, but you know, you're, you're there with the rifle and I've got a sense that this thing's probably about 50 yards out on me and it was just kind of uh, doing its thing. Yeah. I wasn't feeling um, like, and it was pitch black, right? Yeah. But, uh, early morning. Yeah. I, w- I wasn't feeling, I'm sure what I would be feeling if that thing was inches away from my face. Yeah. And all I've got between me and it is a camera. Like, do you have a firearm with you? With you? No, but this? I had like, like the guy I was with, Mike Fell, he's like next level. So yeah. you're. Yeah. He's right there good. with the elephant, like he's there with an elephant gun and shock. He's there with a the muzzle loader. Right. Um, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I've never, I always felt comfortable Filming, even like, uh, in the Yukon filming moose and stuff, I'd always felt comfortable behind those guys. Yeah. Mojo, Shockey. Um, yeah, but I, yeah. Other people, when I go film like friends <laughs> and stuff, I'm like, I should probably have a rifle with me. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're no. pretty well accomplished in what they do. Yeah. So you get this footage, not only are you like creative director, your cameraman, then you got to go back and edit it all. Okay. So at, this is what happened. So it was in Africa and had all these close calls. Like yeah. I had the elephant thing. I had the, uh, almost got eaten by a lion, you know, pretty close calls, you know, did the lake swim with the, the Crocs. Um, meanwhile, my wife was home pregnant with our first child. Mm. So I'm like. So your head's there. Oh yeah, my head's there, but it's a, the 45 day trip too. And we were hunting red stag and turkey and there was like hunting dinosaurs. It was crazy. They were like running deer and anyways, it was, it was a good push. I loved it cause I wanted to travel and like the best job ever. But when you do have a family and, and, uh, responsibilities, mm. you have to kind of, uh, yeah, figure it out. So that's what I did. I, I call, yeah, we, that's when, um. I said, we need to get a new cameraman on board and I got to focus on hunt adventures. Right. Did that answer your question? Well, I would just talk about the editing, I guess. So oh, you right. had a new cameraman on board and you're. Yeah. So I, I focused more on doing Howland Lens uh, okay. and North America stuff. I'd film like a little bit like local trips, but mm. going on the dangerous stuff, I focused on uh, just editing. So basically cameraman would, you know, Jim would go on these trips and he'd mm. come back and we'd figure out how many episodes we had to make out of that footage. Um, back then it was, um, we went from 13 shows a year to 26 shows a year to 20 shows a year. And he was on for 17 years. Like that's more than MASH. No, I don't know if MASH was longer than that. I, I'm trying to think of an old show he'd like, like MASH or, or like. <laughs> I think MASH was pretty long, wasn't it? I don't know. Married with Children. What would he watch? Probably, probably more than Married with Children. Yeah. I don't know. Well, um, Al Bundy. But it lasted 17 years and. Was it four touchdowns in a single game? Polkai? <laughs> was that what it was or is the three touch I, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. I, uh, yeah. But yeah, editing was, um, it was, it was, a uh, you know, that's where you sit down and you get, you got to be a healthy, try and stay healthy. Cause I, I, I preferred being in the bush and filming or mm. being out there. Um, but I also pretty picky editor, um, in terms of telling stories and just like really chopping down footage and using the good stuff. And, um, 
entertaining people and telling stories with good music and good cuts. Yeah. So when you're looking, so good cuts, uh, establishing shots, wide angle, uh, zoom in stuff. Like I, I watch, yeah. like we're looking around the studio here, we got a couple little cameras and the camera front and yeah. I've tried my hand at doing some filming. I realized that there's way better people out there at doing that, but I'm sure if I got some basics of, um, like we did a, a rafting trip down the Thompson, me and a couple yeah. of friends and we. Um, I got a whitewater raft and other fellows, um, there's some search and rescue. So we borrowed their, uh, their rowing frame for it. And we yeah. spent a week just going a hundred K down the river and. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, uh. Where's the footage? Well, it's, it's sitting on my hard drives, right? Nice. <laughs> so actually Canon had lent me a, a camera at the time. What? Yeah. They, they're just based out of here in, in Richmond there. Oh yeah. Nice. So they're like, oh, you got to check out this new R6 camera. And oh, I nice. was like, no, 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 I, I've been using the 5D Mark four and I had the 5D Mark two before. And I said, no, the, this new digital one, you're really going to like it. I don't think they knew I was going to be taking it for a week, just floating down a river. Yeah. Uh, and then I took it into the Yukon and we took a little boat down Teslin and. Oh, Teslin. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Uh, How'd you do? Got a nice moose. Yeah. I did a Teslin, I filmed a Teslin moose hunt. Did you really? Last year. Yeah. 2021, so, yeah. So buddy of mine, actually he's just yeah. recovering right now. He's, um, uh, gave us all quite a scare. He's a helicopter pilot and, uh. Yikes. Uh, anyways, um, a few months ago, he, um, I guess it's about a month and a half now, two months ago, uh, he's lives in the Yukon. He was, uh taking his quad home on the side. I guess he figured to make a splash in the puddle. And next thing I know, he cracked his skull open, his, uh, uh punctured his lung, oh, his, man. Uh, uh, broke, broken clavicle. Yeah, no, they had, had him intubated for quite a long time and we, we weren't too sure kind of how that would work out. But, uh, anyways, he's, he's in the recovery stage right now, but he's helicopter pilot and he says, you know, I've, I've seen this, um, uh, cow moose in previous trips and there's a yeah. certain area. Why, why don't we just take a, our, my little, uh, 16 foot Lund with a little 60 <laughs> horsepower, two stroke outboard on this thing. And, uh, we'll take it from the Yukon down to the BC side where you're at. And nice. Yeah. It was my fastest. Down the Tesla? Uh-huh. Oh, nice. Yeah. It was the fastest, uh, moose hunt I've ever done. We got, uh, the hard, hard part was getting all the way out there cause that yeah. lake can pick up and, uh. I uh, went up there with my wife and with his partner and he set up an, a little camp on a tiny island as our bear protection, even though a bear could swim over there, no problem. But hopefully, hopefully it's a bit of, uh, a deterrent to dissuade oh, yeah. it. And, oh. uh, we're finally, we get out there, we've got everything set up. We're doing, just sitting on a little island scoping like is that a moose over there? I don't know. Let's go over. So we'll do a little, took the boat over to, we call it the mainland and yeah. stalked on over, sat down and watched. No, no, it's not a moose. Okay. Waited four hours. Out walks a moose. There we go. Cow? Bull. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that was, uh, and that was a long shot. I probably shouldn't say how long that was on, uh, on the air, but that was the, uh, the longest shot that I've taken an animal from. <laughs> and, um. It was, um, I don't, had we known we had it ranged yeah. one, one in the party, I won't name names, ranged the, uh, uh, ranged the moose and, uh, in inappropriately, maybe they picked up on something else yeah. and, uh, my wife who spotted it says, well, that's a bit far for me. I'm like. Probably the camera messed it up. <laughs> 
I think it was a cameraman. Just always blame on the cameraman. Yeah. Even if you don't have a cameraman. I, actually, I think the person's well, name is Jesse. Yeah, everyone's a cameraman. <laughs> they mess yeah. everything up. Just use your iPhone. Oh, damn cameraman. But and, that's cool. Yeah. Anyways, I look at him like, oh, looks a little further. I'm going to aim higher. And I just, um, uh, maybe it was luck that I, that I hit it, but, um, mm. how, was, how was the pack out? I, it was, uh, it was a few trips out. Yeah. Uh, we were able to, cause we got that, got it, uh, got it out, took care of it in the morning. Yeah. Um, uh, got it out onto a tarp, dragged all the, the guts away from it in the hopes that anything, any predator coming by will maybe want that. Right. Yeah. Um, and then made a little couple fires around it and do our best to get our scent all over the area. Yeah. I uh, come back in the morning, took care of it. Cause I mean, we were in, you know, the area, it's grizzly country. Yeah. First grizzly I ever filmed was on, uh, on a kill. That was intense. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. We were with muzzleloader and with a rifle backup and yeah, it was just the grizzly was sitting there. Uh, he had, he, he at that point buried it okay. and he could sense us. So he was sitting there, uh, pounding it and he mm. was just sitting there looking out, drooling like crazy. Cause he could sense us in there and we were in high willows yeah. trying to find a, a mound to kind of get a good shot at him about 80 yards. Yeah. Yeah, it was intense. 80 yards on the grizzly. Yeah, that's the first, first, uh, thing I ever filmed. First animal I ever filmed Shockey taken. Yeah. Did it go down right away? Yeah. Okay. But, whew, that was intense. And 80 was, yards is close on a grizz. Yeah, especially with the muzzleloader, yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, you talked about long shots. Like, we always tried for filming, was always to try and get close. As right. We, like, tried to keep it under a hundred if we could, cause we were used to kind of, it was kind of like muzzleloader distance. Right. We always tried to try, tried to get to under a hundred, except for when all of a sudden I'd be filming with like a guy with a client and we're suddenly they're like 250, 300. I'm like, dude, we could have. Like, <laughs> we could have, we could have got closer. Yeah. He was coming down to us. Like we, the winds, you know. Yeah. I was always thinking about filming, right? Not hunting until I finally had it, put it, picked up a rifle or a bow myself. So yeah. Jim got you into hunting. Totally. What was your first hunt you did with him? First hunt I did with Jim? Yeah. Would, would that be your first hunt? No, no. I started, he just got me, he, he opened my curiosity to it. Okay. And he kind of, uh, helped me appreciate what it was actually about. Okay. It was about, you know, going out, having fun. Um, you learn a lot about the dudes or the, the people you hunt with or the, the late, you know, your wife or whatever, you, yep. you learn a lot out there about each other and your the, the phones are way, the screens are way and you work for your, for what you, you know, you work for what you bring and mm -hmm. you use all the meat, all this stuff. It was all about that. So yeah. And for me, I've always liked fishing and I, you know, if I catch a salmon, if I catch a, a lingcod, if I get a cod on the island here, I'm going to keep it. And if I, I usually want to catch a bigger fish. Sure. So it's like, you know, some people want to get a bigger deer. Great. Yeah. You know, they, they, they're not necessarily trophy hunting. They're just, they want to enjoy it. Like, why would you end your hunt or why would you end your, if fishing open for three months a year, why would you like be fished out or hunting? Like, right. you know, it's, it's nice to enjoy the hunt and, and I get it's all about meat and getting the meat, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I. Well, I the just, actual pulling of the trigger, that's, that's that. And yeah. And there's a lot of responsibility that goes once you do pull that trigger. Right. You can't call that shot back. Can't you got to make sure back. it's an ethical shot. You got to make sure that, uh, you're going to be able to retrieve and, and, yeah, and all and the deal rest. With everything you, yeah. Deal with it and make sure everything that you can use gets used and, but it's a good way to eat. It's a fantastic way. Some of the best meals are just sitting around the campfire yeah. with a cast iron, some 
butter yeah. and tenderloins and. Yeah. So it's just, it's a natural good way to eat. So yeah, it's almost like uh, eating healthy in terms of meat. But you did a filmed hunt with Jim, didn't you? I did. So, so that. Sh- Shocky finally let me, um, he almost let me hunt a whitetail like years ago. Yeah. Because back then we used to film, um, cameraman and other people like kind of that worked with Jim just hunting whitetail because you could get a whitetail tag pretty easy. Right. So I got one one season, didn't get anything. Anyways, he let me, uh, he let me shoot a caribou in the, in the COVID year. And that yeah. was a nice looking caribou. That was a nice caribou. It was a Jesse bull, he called it. The Jesse bull. Yeah. Jesse bull, which is like a, just a nice respectable animal. Yeah. <laughs> the whole hunt. It's, it's not a Jim bull. No, it's not a Jim bull. I heard about the gym bowl. He almost put me on a gym bowl. Yeah. Actually, he did. Yeah. But Wojo got it. Yeah. It was like a 424 or something. Yeah. Mountain caribou. Yeah. But mine was like a nice Jesse bowl. It was like a, <laughs> not that you score stuff, but you know, I, I brought home that meat, the caribou, and then Wojo uh, let me bring home half uh, his moose. So that's okay. Good stuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not definitely not a hardcore hunter, but uh, I just, you know, enjoy being out there. It's a good, uh, good thing for the head. Where was Good the caribou hunt? Caribou's Yukon. Okay. Up at Jim's camp. Um, yeah, it was really good. It was a nice bowl. It was, yeah, it was nice and let me shoot it. And then we uh, did a couple episodes on shock therapy with that. Yeah. So when Hunt Adventures ended, we, we kind of wanted to um, figure out a way to conserve the footage and, uh, you know, rehash it. So we came up with this concept of doing like a podcast like you're doing. Yeah. But um, bringing back old guests that were part of Hunt Adventures, Yukon Uncharted, Uncharted guides, people that in the industry, and they sit there and talk with Jim, and they rehash the footage that we had on file. How's shock therapy going? Pretty good. I think it's going into season three, maybe. Yeah? I did most of season one and then a bit of season two. I ended my uh, career with, with on uh, the... I wanted to do the last four Todd Bisson episodes. Yeah? So I did those. He was Todd Bisson, the guy, the cameraman who filled in when I... Kind of stepped down when I um, started having babies, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was that was good. I, I did want to do the Wojo episodes, but I didn't quite make it there. That looks like a a tough show to edit. Yeah, just because it's cut after cut after cut, and oh. then find the right clips to put in, and and then cut cut cut. In the end, it looks really simple, but you know, no, so you it, can keep it super simple. But if you're really trying to, you're basically trying to match a visual to almost every clip, every two to three seconds. And then you have to search for it all. Yeah, search for it. And then you got to also, we, on those, we'd cut into the, uh, actual episode really quick. Mm-hmm. And some of the older shows you're dealing with mixed audio, other ones you're not dealing with mixed audio. So, so you have four channel audio where you could separate the music and then other ones you're bringing in music. Right. Attached to like, it's old school, you know. So <clears> as, <throat> as cameraman, are you also the audio person? Well, yeah, for Shockey, for those trips you were, because you were just like, it was just one cameraman for some of the other stuff it was two, but all you just had a wireless mic and shotgun or you always listen on headphones. So yeah, they all, for wow. poor audio guys, it was a disaster. Yeah. So eventually like I used to do everything and then like no audio, like I just submit with my audio mix and then eventually we got a audio guy to start mixing the shows. Yeah. And then he'd provide us with the, you can separate all the wave files. So you yeah. can separate the mix, you can separate sound effects. And so I'd get that in the end. Plus you get the stereo mix. You know, very yeah, first good stuff. episode of the Silvercore podcast that I recorded, it was all single track. Oh, so all like everything's mixed in. Stereo yeah, mix, it, One single track. Yeah, we yeah. had three people. Uh, it was uh, myself, a couple of friends, Paul nice. and Nick, and they're both retired Vancouver police. And 
when one was talking, the other one was sitting there breathing in the microphone and I couldn't <laughs> get rid of that because I had it all on one track. And so right after that, I'm like, forget this. I got to go out and do multi-track. Yeah. When I first started editing, I know one fellow in particular, visually you could see on the waveform, mm -hmm. every time that he would talk, you go, Oh, like no. before each one, you see this little tick mark. Mm -hmm. So I'd go through and I'd, I'd remove all the ticks because I want to make sure that mm. my guest comes across in the best way. Or if someone's got a lot of ums and ahs, I'd go through and edit uh, all of those out and fade them. It took forever. I have a secret for that. Okay. Let's hear it. I'm not, I don't do it anymore, but what's oh, the secret? Oh, I have to cut out so many ums and ahs still. What's and the I, secret? I obsess it. It's those little markers you get. Oh yeah. So you can so read you, an um. You, you just mark it, mark the heck out of that that timeline, then you go through and chop the heck of it and then you go through, delete it all. And then you just take that timeline and you sink it down. Yeah. It's a nightmare. But I mean, I've created a lot of crazy sentence, sentences, uh, chopping stuff up. It's not, I wouldn't say editing is very fun. I'm trying to look at new, uh, new things to do now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I guess what I was getting at was, did you find yourself doing a lot of things that later on you thought like, why the hell am I doing this? Like for me, I would... I would very carefully edit the audio so that no one could hear where those tick marks, where the ums mm. were or anything else. So you could see an um, it looks like a fish yeah. essentially in, uh, in audition or in your waveform mm -hmm. and I'd, and I'd scrub them all out, but my style changed. Yeah. And I figured I'll just talk better and I'll train myself to stop doing that. Yeah. Nice. But then you get random guests who say, um, 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 or they have a word whisper or something. Yeah. Word whisper. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you whisker. get, you get kind of good at your craft and I just got fast that no one, I, I got fast because so after we had a bunch of cameramen and you know, Matt Zanil really took on seven, eight years of filming Shockey. Yeah. He's probably like, he's like, he's probably the goat. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's next level. He's got a wicked, uh, yeah, he's really good. Anyways, so you get used to working with the camera's footage, right? Yeah. So you get really quick at your job. You get really quick at chopping Jim up, you know, but when okay. you get the random guy. Then it's. You yeah, just I, have, a, have that process that just. What about a 32-bit float? Is that uh, something you use in your audio or? No, I, I, I send my audio to the audio guy now. Oh, but I do get, I, smart. I, I don't, like I still, for, for the show I did. Yeah. Okay. So he'd get the final mix. So it's perfect for TV. Awesome. So he'd blend everything nice together. Yeah. But I'd still get a good blend, but to me it sounded good. <laughs> yeah. What, what would you tell somebody if they want to go out there and start kind of filming their own, any equipment, what are the, what are the must haves? Hmm. Well, definitely good gear for the weather. Okay. Like <laughs> uh, a GoPro, they're waterproof or? Well, no. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, GoPro, I didn't use much. I mean, if you can get a good GoPro mount for sure, set that up as a wide angle, but honestly, you could, you could, honestly, the iPhones are so good these days, but I wouldn't say that, but it depends if you're a Canon guy, a Sony guy, I use the Sonys now. So the Sony AS7 III is pretty good. And yeah. Sony FX6 and Sony FS this and that. Just cause you got into their yeah, ecosystem you get or. Into that, but the biggest thing is just documenting and telling the story. And mm. then when you see the wildlife, don't spook it and, uh, try and capture the best of your abilities, but the, but, and getting good audio. So you need, you need that wireless mic. Yeah. And you need sound bites in, in the field. Like if you got, if you're doing it properly, like if you went on the Yukon, you could sit down and interview everybody now, right? Or you mm. could sit down and interview during the trip. Now you got stuff to put your footage on with music. Right. Otherwise you don't have good audio, good talk, and you got just, 
it's like a montage at that point. That's a good point. You got to tell a story. That's a good point. You got to interview. And then if you get, if you interview while they're out there, mm -hmm. while you're getting the reels, where they come back, it's kind of contrived reality. Where, That's a brilliant point. I don't know why I didn't think about that. So I got a whole bunch of footage without any interview on it. So you, yeah, you, how are you going to make? I'm so, not going to do That's so why it's right sitting on a hard got, drive. Yeah. So if you have sound bites, sound bites are good. That's yeah. what you need. Sound bites. Okay. But good quality. Like this is good sound bite. Yeah. Yeah. But if you have a wireless mic on somebody out there, but it yeah, I got lav mics, yeah, but so I just have to bring them, bring them and then just sit down during the day or whatever and say, Hey guys, I just want to interview you or huh. downtime or whatever, or get them to do a diary cam every day. I wonder if there'd be any interest in that. I mean, I was just doing it for my own personal interest and nothing that I think. Yeah, yeah. I probably would. Who knows? I'll, uh, but you I'll should play around a bit. Maybe get an interview because then you get sound bites. That's a good idea. So what's the craziest Jim Shockey story that you're allowed to share? I think Cody Robbins, he, uh, he was at bear camp and he brought his underwear, like he had his bear camp underwear and he like, I think he wrapped Jim's pillow in it when Jim came back from bear camp. Oh my God. It was like a two week old pair of underwear and he <laughs> put it in Jim's pillow and I think Jim might've slept on it for a few days. So. <laughs> no, I don't have any crazy Jim stories. I mean, kind of a couple funny ones, but. I don't know if I can tell him. Yeah. There, he was, he was class act though. He was always good. Um, I was always panicking about missing the shot and stuff like that. In Turkey, I remember waking up to him saying, are you on him? I was like, what? You, you uh, woke up. I woke up cause it was totally jet lag and we were, they're pushing bush in for Turkey and yeah. to get these deer out. I'm like, that's not gonna, we're not gonna get a deer. We haven't seen a deer in five days. Anyways, I just fell asleep and I just wake up to Jim saying, are you on him? Are you on him? I'm like, what? The good answer is yes, I am. So yeah, there's a couple of good stories, but, um, yeah, I really liked the, uh, Hal Lenz stuff was my favorite stuff to film and. It's fun to watch. It was fun to watch and they were genuine. Um, I learned a lot from them and yeah, it was good. They seemed to really like each other. They did. And they, we'd get, we kind of feed them a bit of kind of bit of lines and they'd roll with it, but. Okay. But <laughs> they would just, they were just, they were very humble men. So. Yeah. That's what made them legit. And they, and they loved, uh, the outdoors and hunting, even though they hunted in their jeans and, uh, lumber jacket. More animals have been taken in blue jeans and plaid jackets and have in any fancy Gore-Tex. I'm sure of that. Totally. Totally. And, and so now I'm working on, I've done a bit of work with Man Eats Wild, which is a, a new TV series. He's going to season two right now. Tell me about that one. Cause so, I, I've been seeing that in the periphery. Guy um, looks pretty hardcore. He's totally hardcore. He's legit. Yeah. He's, yeah. uh, I think he's Greek and he's from, uh, Australia, born and raised in Australia, but he's like a restaurateur. He had like Michelin star restaurants and wow. he had guidance services and all that. And so he fishes and hunts all around the world, but at the end of each episode, he, he cooks it like master chef, like Gordon Ramsay style. That's cool. On the spot. That's really cool. And it's good. And he's, and he's legit. So he's doing that. And I've been, I was able to go film, uh, in the Idaho with, uh, Chuck Liddell. Yeah. Which was weird. Yeah. Uh, Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Chuck Liddell horseback. And that was, that was pretty funny. I, I like that whole concept of, uh, incorporating the food, the cooking part into the, yeah. the hunt, because that's, that's such a big part of the conversation when it comes into hunting. I know Kevin Coswin and Paul Rogowski, they've got a show, uh, from the wild and mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a really good one. And they got, uh. Is that the one that's on your link tree? You got it. Yeah. And Les Stroud. Um, yeah, that's. That show looks really good. It's awesome. I, I only saw the trailer because I just saw it. Like, I love yesterday. those guys. They're super, super down to earth. And, uh, of course, 
Paul Rogowski, he's got, um, uh, I don't know if it's a Michelin star, but it's an award-winning, it's a yeah. Rouge restaurant, um, an award-winning restaurant. He's a chef and yeah. of course everyone knows the sur- survivor man, Les Stroud and yeah. Kevin Costwin. He's beautiful cinematography that he puts yeah, together. Yeah, so it's like the, yeah, the, the look and feel of that show is epic. So those guys are using good cameras, like, so they're documenting the outdoors with yeah, but I don't, I don't, cameras. honestly, I talking with Kevin, I, I don't get the sense that they're going too crazy with the cameras. Like they got, yeah. you know, got a couple good cameras out there. It's, but it's about the shot composition and about, yeah. uh. Having a good eye for it. Yeah. Which he, he does, right? Just and like And then telling the story with the editing too. Right. Yeah. And so, they have interviews. They have interviews. Look at that trailer. Yes, it's all they interviews. Do. They have interviews. It's interviews with music and then the Smart. nice cuts on top. So having that food portion of the whole thing, I think reaches just a, a primal level in people, but a much wider audience as well. And it introduces the concept of hunting as opposed to co-opting that responsibility onto a butcher or, or, or an abattoir or somewhere else, mm-hmm. uh, of the more intimate relationship with the food essentially. And that whole story that goes with it. I really like that concept. So I'm. No, it's a good concept. And honestly, like, um. I came into this green, right? Yeah. I like fishing. I just go to the store and buy my meat. Yeah. Um, my wife's a vegetarian. She's Still? not like hardcore vegan, like, but yeah, she's a vegetarian, but she eats, uh, like fish. Okay. Um, but she gets it. Yeah. Like she understands why hunting is good. Yeah. And it works if it's done, uh, not a, like, you know, all these guys think of hunters as these typical crazy rednecks. Yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. And they're shooting their guns off and drinking beers. I mean, there there are those guys out there. It it does happen. But but that's not a hunter. No, no. That's just someone partying and having fun who's allowed to have. Right. But but yeah, it's, yeah, it's all part of clean eating really. And it's, um, I think it's pretty cool to see these cooks, like you mentioned, do that. Yeah. Cause I love cooking. I, you know, my, I'm always getting in trouble for like using extra ingredients. I'm like, well, we have cilantro. We have this one. I throw it on. It looks good too. Right. So it's nice to, yeah. So I, I can get behind someone who's do, has, you know, that behind it about getting the animal and then showing a wicked meal you can make with it and, and then using it, giving it to the community. I I think that's the vehicle to the masses. I mean, Mm. for those who would be, uh, anti-hunting or against hunting, and rather than always preaching to the choir, yeah. that food section, uh, Hank Shaw, I don't know if you've ever uh, read some of his stuff. He's got a James Beard award-winning website. Uh, no, for check it out. Blog. Yeah. He's a uh, hunter, angler, gardener, cook or chef, hunter, angler, yeah. gardener, honestfood.net, I think is what his uh, website's called. Yeah. Um, does a fantastic job, him and his, and his partner, Holly, just both photographing and documenting, writing about the process of procuring wild food. Yeah. And I think it's popularity that he has there is because it's not just about hunting. It's not just about fishing. It's not just, but it's about that whole process and how we're connected to it. Yeah. It's kind of a lifestyle too, right? It's a lifestyle choice. Like some people aren't into it. Like, trust me, I love going to Costco. Sure. The steelhead there is great. Yeah. And it's farmed, but I don't know. It's not that. <laughs> I think it's right. I don't know, but it's good. It's like good steelhead, but I can't, I can fish steelhead on the island, but I can't keep them. Right. So anyways, but I, 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 I don't mind going to, yeah, I, I don't mind going to get, you know, salmon fillets or something at Costco or meat fillets, but. You talk about the lifestyle, but yeah. I think everyone's got a lifestyle of 
eating and drinking. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. They, they but want... they, they can just go to the store and buy the meat. And, yeah. And then they're like, well, I can't believe you'd hunt. Like, you'd shoot that? I'm like, well, it's like, you just went, like, can I see your freezer? And you're like, where do you get this? Like, where'd that come from? And right. What Someone had to shoot it. Things, like, they didn't have that freedom of life that these wild game have. So it's tricky. It's a tricky one to sometimes work with. Um, yeah. So where do you see yourself in the future? Well, you know, I had, I've always had this concept in my head. I, I, I don't quite know how I'm going to pull it off, but I've made TV for lots of years and, and, uh, worked for these guys making their shows or helping make their shows. But, you know, I've always kind of had in, a, in my back of my head, some sort of fishing show idea, but I just, ah. I just don't know if, uh, you know, the, the logistics of, uh, of getting something going are, are tricky, but you know, like I, I, I remember growing up fishing a lot. Right. And, uh. Everyone usually when, yeah, like fishing, fishing with my dad, yeah. right? And again, fishing with my dad was more my dad drinking with his buddies and I'm yeah. holding the fishing rod. Unfortunately for me, that's what it was. Right. And, uh, I also just went back to Ontario this summer and I revisited some of the spots my grandpa used to take me, mm-hmm. but he, he always packed a fishing rod. He'd throw me at a lake. He'd throw me at this. He said, just go fish. Yeah. So I didn't really learn. So then I had kids and I was like, man, take my kids fishing. This is awesome. Yeah. But I quickly realized I I really didn't learn much from my dad. I didn't really learn how to fish. So fishing with dad is the kind of concept and telling people stories because how did you learn to fish? Well, growing up, we had a, um, we call it a commercial fly fishing lodge. It had a commercial license on it. Yeah. But it was never run commercially. It was, um. Uh, a geological lawyer, uh, who was a good family friend, a, a fellow, he owned a sporting goods store. The other one owned, I think it's Western Canada's largest, uh, um, brokerage company. And, uh, what did the other one do? I forget. Anyways, there's, there's four of them involved and they're, they're family friends and invite us up. And then at one point, one left and, uh, gave us the opportunity. My family bought into a fly fishing lodge. So, oh, but for me, fly fishing was, you put the fly on the end or if yeah. nobody's looking, you put like, I don't know, a, a, a treble hook or a, a spinner or something on there. Yeah. And you just troll behind the boat with your fly rod out there. Yeah. That was fly fishing. I had no real idea how to cast properly or. Fly how to fishing's re- an art. Oh, totally is. And. Yeah. It's only in recent years that I've really started to, uh, kind of learn more about that. Yeah. But like most things, if you're going to learn to hunt or you're going to learn to fish, it's going to mm-hmm. probably because a family member most likely has taken you out and shown you. Yeah. And, and previously it was a male dominated activity. Yeah. Uh, and so it was usually like a father or an uncle or grandfather would take you out. Now it's the- Both, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like one of the best anglers in the world we know. April Vogue, yeah. You got it, right? That's where I learned about fly fishing cast because we went to film her, the idea was to film her teaching how to cast. Right. Cast. I remember that. And man, that was a uh, next level, that one. Yeah. And we filmed for three or four days and we finally put it out. She was six months <laughs> pregnant or something too. Wow. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, definitely an art. And I mean, the idea for a, a fishing show, I, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to pull it off, but in my brain, I'm, I'm starting in Hawaii and I'm going to Newfoundland and learn to fish with my kids. That'd and, be an amazing show. Yeah. Are you kidding? It needs to be filmed too. And the thing is, I know how to film it. 
Yeah, and the story behind that, because yeah. you have that background where you wish you knew how to do yeah, if it. If only we had sponsors. Just need a couple sponsors, huh? I don't know how to do it. No, I'm think honestly thinking about selling my house and doing it. Yeah? But don't tell my kids. Well, honestly, we it, what do they yeah. say? If you build it, they'll come? Yeah, I could always come back to the island in a year if it didn't work out, but I'll have the footage. If you have that feeling in your heart mm. that it'll- you Every province, you try the lake, river, ocean along the way. You're going to regret it if you don't. Can you imagine? Yeah, that would be fantastic. Start in Hidegui, hit Newfoundland at the end. Have you fished in Hidegui? Uh, I went on the boat once with a friend of mine, yeah, okay. and we tried fishing. Didn't catch anything, but I did deer hunt there. Yeah? <laughs> that was awesome. I hear it's unseen. I've never been. I'd love to go there. They're allowed 10 tags, but there's deer everywhere. Is it 10 or 15? <laughs> it's crazy the number. Might be 15. And it's not, they're not, there's a lot of deer there. Yeah. I did Hawaii too, filmed an Axis deer hunt. You had Axis in Hawaii? Which island? Uh, Maui. Okay. With Shane Dorian. He's a pro surfer. That was a yeah. man. wild. That, I'm going to have to watch that one. That was that one. one of the, uh, I'd like to re-edit it. I didn't edit it. No? But it's fine. They did great. Yeah. <laughs> but I think. Enough said. There's so much footage. They did a great job considering all the footage that was given to them. Enough said. Um. Yeah. Axis deer. Is that difficult to, to do for a non-resident? Like if I wanted to. Uh, I think uh, it's pretty, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a bit of logistics, but not bad. You, yeah? you need permission. On, you, you might have to go with an outfitter of some sort. Right. Okay. Or you need permission through someone, you know, who has a farm, like we're on some wicked, huge chunk of land. They don't have a ton Oprah's. of axis deer over there, do they? Yeah. Do they? It's like 60,000 on Maui. Is there really? Well, like, I, knew, imagine, I know nothing about them. I just. Like, Salt Spring Island with 60,000 deer on it. Oh my God. They'd be getting, so over here, you've heard about the guys that come with a helicopter and they'll do culling for, uh. Yeah, unfortunately, but yeah, yeah. You have to do what you have to do, yeah. For the non-native deer and. I'd yep. love to go hunt fallow deer in Sydney. That'd be fun. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. They but, typically get guys out of New Zealand yeah. to do it. And. I worked with a lot of Kiwis, are you allowed to say that? Oh yeah, they, Kiwis, They call yeah. themselves it, yeah. 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 They're awesome. Funny, a buddy of mine, he says, you know, I don't know why they keep getting the Kiwis to go and do this. Cause we trained them on how to do this back in the seventies. The Canadians yeah. trained the Kiwis apparently on the, uh, shooting from helicopters back in the seventies. Huh. And, uh, recently speaking with them, uh, cause there's some more work in progress. I'm like, hold on a second. Why, why don't we have Canadians in there? And they said, well. We put it out to tender and we only had five different companies come on back and not one of them was Canadian. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. It's like, well, if I knew about that, I probably would have put a bid in, even though, wow. uh, my, my shooting from helicopters is pretty limited. By limited, I've never <laughs> shot from a helicopter. <laughs> I think it's probably an art for sure. Well, I, we used to have to take a helicopter into the cabin yeah. first of the season, get all the old stuff out, new stuff in, cause it was flying or hiking. And yeah. I'd always try and talk the pilot into just can you let me jump into the lake? Can I just like, can you hover over and just let me jump in? And he's like, no. Yeah. It's like, okay, what if I put a rope and I just kind of lower myself down? That would be okay, right? Nope. So my dream of jumping out of a helicopter is still unfulfilled. I might have to. Uh, it might happen. It might. You put your mind to it. I'm going to put it out there. Maybe we can rectify that. Yeah, get that, that sponsored and then, and then the trip from Haida Gwaii to Newfoundland. <laughs> Maybe you just jump out of the helicopter out in Haida Gwaii and then. Yeah, yeah, start there. Yeah, there you go. I'll do, Yeah. Didn't Will Smith bungee out of that? Did he? I think he bungeed out of a helicopter. I've never had Anyways. a burning desire to bungee jump. No, me neither. It just doesn't seem to have any level of practicality behind it. Uh, no. Yeah. No. Not now that I'm 43 with kids. <laughs> Nothing makes you recognize your own mortality like having children, right? Dear goodness. 
Yeah, <laughs> totally. Full on. So they're going to be getting older. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to get on this show pretty quick. Well, they're, so my oldest, he's learning the hunt. He's got his hunting license and stuff. So yeah, yeah I mean, that's what I mean. That's like, I got to jump on this. Yeah. I'm gonna, I, you know, it's a crazy idea in my head because my, when I moved to the island, my dad's buddy, his name was Dave Plummer. We'd always go out on his boat and he was like the old guy who like fixed his own stuff and then his boat always was going to break down. It was always like a problem and always, always, always. But he taught me how to fish for cod out here pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, I've gotten good at fishing cod and stuff, but I've never, it'd be fun to just document me with the boys starting one and hitting like every, not every, but hitting spots in each province along yeah. the way. And really trying to fish and learn from the locals, like giving it kind of that Canadian local, like find the hardcore guy or the, right. this like, you or know. indigenous the, groups or Yeah, whatever. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Along the way. And then yeah. work with them for a few days, fishing, learning their ways. And then oh, learn I'd how watch to fish. That. And then go to the next province. And then it's all the crazy road trip and stuff too. We should talk after this recording because I might have a, uh, a contact for you. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Um, do you have tips on, uh, fish and ling? Uh, <laughs> uh, people, it's my ADHD. <laughs> I go fishing with guys and I'm like, you got to fish those hard, uh, the good hard reefs for yep. sure. I mean, lots of guys catch them really deep too. The yeah. big guys really deep, but two, two, 200 plus reefs. But I always like to fish those, uh, reefs at like, um, 30 to 65 or 65 to a hundred. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> my ADHD, like I'll drift a spot really quick on my, I'm like, oh, there's no ling here. And we'd come back <laughs> real quick. No. And we'd try another reef, try another reef. The guy's like, they always freak out that I'm moving too quick. Yeah. But I, I learned from the old guy, Dave Plummer, like, he's like, oh, there's no fish here. If, you're, if you don't bite the first 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. I've heard the same thing, right? Just move. Because when you're aggressive, if, That's right. if you're in that hole and it's, you give it a couple of whirls, but. Yeah. I don't know. I'm impatient, I guess. And that's what I learned. The big thing I learned about hunting was, uh, patience. Okay. So, um. Uh, still hunting, uh, laying up, um, stalking. What, what do you find to be out of all, like if you're just a kind of, you, you've been on so many different hunts, so many different animals. Wow. The hardest thing to do is, and Shockey's, I always think of Sh what would Shockey do, but, uh, the hardest thing to do is just sit and wait for the animal to come to you. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, it's going to pass through at some point if you sit the wind and blah, blah, blah. Often we would sometimes... Cause you know, you're going to make a bunch of noise on the stock or yep. whatever. Like sometimes you just got to figure out or hope for the best and set up, wait for it to come to you. And how long will you often wait for? Oh man. Me? Or I, you I'm, or Jim? I'm a little impatient. He'd okay. wait, he'd wait, he'd wait 21 days if you wanted. Like, yep. oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, uh, <laughs> Not me. buddy of mine says, well, let's go for a, um, he says, I haven't, I haven't gotten a bear before. You want to go in a bear hunt? I'm like, sure. Not a problem. I mean, there's some, there's effective tactics to getting mm -hmm. bears that can be. Spot and stock. Right. Way. Spot and stock, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, just, or. Depends on the animal and the weight thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Because spot and stock is awesome. Yeah. So, but he's from the UK and has a background in, um, hunting deer in, in this, uh, you know, you're, you're deer stalking, right. And you're, you're yeah. walking around for these things. Which is awesome. Which, which is awesome. But it, it was a, I said, well, I'll come on with you. We can try it out. Right. It was a different sort of approach to bear hunting that, um, it was interesting. And finally we're like, you know, like w what would you do if you saw one just as you're coming around a corner? Cause the mm -hmm. thing will take off on you. Yeah. Will you have time to identify it and see if that's the one you want, if it's got cubs or not? I'm like. For me, I, I 
prefer to a walk a logging road because mm-hmm. springtime they're going to be out there or you'll be in an area where they're going to be yeah. likely and just set up and wait, maybe use a predator call and have your head on a swivel. Yeah. Spot and stock bears was, I filmed a lot of those hunts up island because Jim was an outfitter, he outfitted North, Northern okay. Island. And, uh, yeah, those were, um, yeah, lots of spot and stock and just getting high up glassing, watching the, the big deactivated logging roads, looking mm-hmm. for that sign. Yeah. You, you know. Sure. But for bears, it was always good win. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it's always What good. was your favorite thing to film? Well, I got to say filming moose in the Yukon is. Up there. Like during the rut, it's pretty unreal. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, I think it'd be the same with elk. That's why there's crazy elk. I didn't get many, on many good elk hunts where I had like good, like rutted animals come, come to you. Mm. I love the blacktail on the island because there is some big bucks out there and but they're just so nocturnal. They're just hard to hunt. But, um, yeah, moose was pretty epic. Yeah. Africa stuff was cool, but, um, you know, jungles Cameroon was pretty intense. The bongo, that was a, that was a really cool hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Bongo. Yeah. They're cool looking animal. Antelope. Yeah. Really cool animal. Yeah. But the little stripes in the. North America, it's definitely moose. Moose, eh? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yeah. uh, so the, the closest thing to a Yukon moose hunt would be the Teslin one, but just on the yeah. BC side. Um, I'd love to do a full on Yukon moose hunt. Yeah. Maybe I should, uh, I should look at that for, uh, next season or two, see what we can do. I had, I filmed for, uh, uh, Yukon Harvest. Okay. That's on APTN. Yeah. I filmed one of the hunts for that. Yeah. On the Tesla in there. And, uh, that harvest shot was a disaster. But I In what way? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, it was. Not, not the you, best. You it was from the boat on, on a river, which is legal and yeah. I, everything was done legally. Of course. Um, but the boat, the guide got excited. So the, and we're drifting on a river, right? So he's not, the boat is turning. Mm. For, so the hunter is even going, do, 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 he's moving with, so I'm. You're trying to get out of the way of that muzzle. Oh, and I also trying to, oh yeah, also oh, yeah. trying to film the uh, thing. <laughs> Anyways, I, it was a good story. It was a, it was a 13 year old boy. It was, uh, his first moose hunt with his father and this mentor. And it was a, for the native, native, it was very, yeah. That's it was, cool. It's really cool series. Yukon Harvest. Huh. Is there anything that we should be talking about that we haven't covered yet? I think we've been pretty good, eh? Yeah. You I know? Think I feel good. Okay. Well, Don't I'm going to throw some links up to some of the videos if people want to see more about you and some of the work you've done and yeah. some of the stuff with, uh, shock therapy and. Jim Shockey, and I'll put it out there. If the listeners, anyone has ideas of, uh, perhaps sponsors for Jesse, if they'd like, <laughs> if they'd like to see a, uh. Yeah, man, I'll film it. Cross Canada fishing trip. Cause personally, I think it sounds fantastic. There are so many people. Go with the boys, learn to fish. Right. So fish. many people who want to learn how to hunt or fish and they never had that opportunity. Yeah. But with today's day and age of YouTube and social media yeah. and the rest, it's kind of like that teacher that you never had. Well, I was right? going to kind of do some YouTube, uh, posts as I go through. And also like when I'm in these crazy pockets where there's like an epic little fishing community, I'm going to find the father son duo and I'm going to spend a day with them and learn why, you know, they're in that area and they go fish with them for the day, document their day. That's amazing. And then they teach my boys, and then they teach me ultimately to teach my boys how to fish, right? That's amazing. That's where we learn from our dads or grandpa. Family, dads, yeah. yeah. Jesse, thank you very much for being on the Silver Core podcast. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry it took you so long, and I picked the worst day in, <laughs> in D.C. to be here. <laughs> no, I mean, it's supposed to get worse tomorrow. Hey, it's minus six here, guys. You guys in Alberta got nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you. All right. <laughs> <laughs>